Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So grace all around, right? It is funny how it works out. We end up in Jude, and there are some things today, and so I'm going to use some language that you can read between the lines. How does that sound? At the same time, I want to acknowledge this is the Word of God. We're going to be looking at Jude 5 through 10, and if you think about it, these letters, these epistles were given to the church, and they were read aloud. And just like whole families would come to Christ and be baptized together, they would gather together. And so they would have read the whole letter of Jude together in their home churches. It's where the church was. So we're going to read it, and then I am going to do my best to be really tactful and diplomatic. All right? Amen? I will say up front, too, the world's crazy out there, and they're saying lots of stuff that you parents get to hear and you adults and young adults and kids hear so we can't be muzzled as a church. Would you agree? We can't be muzzled and we can't, uh, we don't do the politically correct game. We just don't do it. We're diplomatic. We're ambassadors of the king. And so we're thoughtful And we're not haphazard, but at the same time, we will not be muzzled. We will speak the truth that we find in Scripture as we're going to encounter in these few verses today. Amen. Are you with me on that? So we are in part two. Last week, we looked at Jude 1 to 4, and we looked at the helpful background information, and we looked at the outline, and we looked at the overall message, contending for the faith in the face of false teachers. And we saw in those first four verses, it was full, wasn't it? We saw that Jude, the brother of Jesus and the brother of James, addressed the church as the called, the beloved in God, which he says three times in this short letter. He calls them beloved, loved by the Father, and kept for Jesus. And he's calling the church to battle for the faith that was delivered to the saints, to the people of God. The whole body of revelation of God in Christ that we have recorded in scripture. So it is an incredibly timely message. And then Jude, like he's gonna do today and we see next week, he unmasks the false teachers. And so we're gonna see him do that today. He's gonna come in and pull back the curtains and show us the nature of the false teachers and their future, these people that were trying to creep into the church. Now, I I said last week, this is the word of God, and it's fiery (laughs) in places, and it's heavy in places, and by that, I mean with the weight of God's glory, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and so we keep that in mind. I want us to think about the way that Jesus himself addressed the topic that Jude is going to be talking about. In Matthew 7, Jesus says this, 
at verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets, false teachers. He says, they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. And then a few verses later, Matthew 7, 24, he calls his disciples to build on the rock of truth on his person. And so we're going to see Jude doing the same thing. So I don't want you to hear one or the other. I want you to hear both. Jude is saying, just like the Lord Jesus, be aware, have your eyes open, be vigilant because there were false teachers and false prophets and there are. So you want to have your eyes wide open. At the same time, he's not just diagnosing the problem. He's saying, I'm calling the church to build on the foundation of Christ and the teachings of the apostles. So it's both of those things happening, right? It's warnings about false teachers and then a call to action positively. We clear on that? So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church community. We thank you that we get to read these letters that were addressed to early church communities and that they are, the word is living and active. And so we ask for the living and active word of God to go forth today. We receive the word of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're seeing Jesus approach the topic in the same way. And it's kind of like gardening, isn't it? What Jude is doing is looking at the church. He's looking at the garden of this local church and he's saying, there are some weeds that have crept in. And so I'm calling you church to look and find those weeds before it's too late and to uproot them. At the same time, he's going to say now, in the place of that, you plant the seed of truth. You plant the teachings of Christ. You plant the teachings of the apostles. And that's exactly what we're going to see in these five verses here. And what he's doing in particular, he's going to lay out three Old Testament types of God's discipline or judgment on false teachers, on people that drifted from him. So we're going to see three, three of those. We're going to look at those and then he's going to give comments on these examples. What's interesting, think about this church. Jude is observing this happening, right? He's looking in the garden of this local church, probably around 65 or 70 AD in ancient Palestine. He's seeing these things and where does he go? He goes to the scriptures. Isn't that interesting? So he's watching the false teachers do their thing. He's observing their character. He's observing their action. He's observing what they teach. And he turns to the Bible. Isn't that interesting? So that's what he's doing. That is his response. His reflex is to go to the Old Testament scriptures and to remind the people through scripture of what the truth is, to call them to the plumb line of scripture, to the truth of the word of God. So let's read Jude 5 to 10, and then we'll make some comments here. Jude 5 to 10. Now I desire to remind you, though you are fully informed that the Lord who once for all saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own position but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deepest darkness for the judgment of the great day. 
Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which in the same manner as they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural lust, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Verse 8. Yet in the same way, these dreamers, false teachers, also defile the flesh, reject authority, and slander the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses, he did not dare to bring a condemnation of slander against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people slander whatever they do not understand, and they are destroyed by those things that, like irrational animals, they know by instinct. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So we've got three Old Testament types plus Jude's interpretation of this. He gives three examples of those who turned from God. They became apostate. That's a term that shows up in other parts in the New Testament, which literally means an apostate is someone who falls away from the Lord. Paul talks about that in 2 Thessalonians 2. And they were therefore judged by God. Now it's interesting, the the word here, look at what he's saying at verse 5. He's saying, I'm going to remind you, though you're fully informed, you've been taught these things. You know the teachings of Christ. You know the Hebrew Bible, the lessons from there. You know the teachings of the apostles. But I'm here to remind you of these things, to bring them back before you in your mind. And he's going to point to the Old Testament. What he's saying here is that these are like types. These prefigure what you're experiencing now. These things happened earlier, but really at the core of each of these three stories, there's something that you're encountering in your current situation through these false teachers. We clear on that? So the first one you see it there in the second part of verse five, the beginning there, He says the first example is for those who were saved out of the land of Egypt and then afterward destroyed because they did not believe. Now, if we can drill down into this for a minute, something that may just pass us by if we don't stop and look at it, right? What does your Bible say there at the end of verse five? Who is it that once for all saves a people out of the land of Egypt? What does your version say? And you can tell me what it is. We're reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. What does yours say? Some of you have the ESV, the English Standard Version, or the NIV. What's it say? Some of you let me know. And that's the ESV, right? Jesus saved the people coming out of Egypt. Another version? Anybody got NASB, New American Standard? The Lord. Okay. So I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but this is important. This is interesting what Jude is doing here. Jude is saying that Jesus somehow was involved in that moment. And there is some textual discussion around this, all right? There are thousands of manuscripts that come together and scholars have to study them and we end up with the most reliable manuscripts available 
And that is what leads us to the English version of the Bible. Again, I don't want to open Pandora's box to all of that, but it's important for you to know that the Bible is the most reliable and most documented book in human history. And so that's what's behind this here. The oldest, most reliable manuscripts actually have the word Jesus there. And so there's some debate here. Is that Jesus Christ, first century Jesus? Or is it Jesus, the son of Nun, Joshua in the Old Testament? And the scholars agree. There's a guy named Bruce Metzger, and I just put this out here. He's one of the leading biblical scholars on biblical text. And he says Jesus is the most reliable reading of this verse here. You with me on that? So what is Jude doing here? Jude has a very high view of the person of Jesus, what the early church called Christology. His view of Christ was very high. And so he is saying, along with the Apostle Paul and along with the Apostle John, that Christ existed before he took on human form. This is profound here. You with me on this? So Paul, for example, says in 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says that the Israelites drank from the rock in the wilderness and the rock was Christ. So somehow the pre-incarnate Jesus was with the people of God in the desert and they drank from his provision as Messiah. That's Paul's view. The pre-incarnate Christ. Listen to what John says. Many of you are familiar with John 1. And what does John 1 say about the word Christ in relation to God? What does it say, church? In the beginning was and the word was with God and the word was God. So we're into one of the greatest mysteries in all of salvation history, in all of scripture, and that is Christ was a human being who took on human form, but before that he existed with the Father. It is profound, it's deep, it's rich. Listen to what John the Apostle records in John 8:58. Jesus says this to those who are asking him questions. He says, before Abraham was, I am. John also records in John 12, 41. He's looking at Jesus doing his ministry and he calls to mind the prophet Isaiah and his encounter with the Lord in Isaiah 6. You know that? We were singing about it where Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple. The angels are worshiping. He's caught up in that moment. Holy, holy, holy. And John says in chapter 12 of his gospel, verse 41, Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. This is profound, church. Jude is saying that there is a man, Jesus, fully God, fully human, and he was with God's people somehow before he appeared in his body in human history. That's deep, right? It's beautiful to see. So what Jude is doing, he's bridging a connection. He's saying God was active, God was involved. He saved his people then and now in the first century. He's saving you again 
through the person of Jesus. Stay connected to him. Don't fall away. Cling to him. That's the first example. The first model was this Exodus generation who was delivered and then said they wanted to go back to Egypt. (laughs) We want to go back. You can read about it in Numbers 14. They were murmuring and complaining and saying we were better off in Egypt. Can you send us back? And so they become an example of people who drift from the Lord, who turn from the Lord and experience the Lord's discipline. A second one here, look at verse six. This is why people often avoid the book of Jude because of passages like this. But we at All Saints, we're gonna dig right into it, right? And I will say this, young people, see how cool and interesting the Bible is. It is the coolest, most interesting, powerful book in human history. And so even in your younger years, I encourage you, read your Bible. Read your Bible with your parents, with your friends, with people here at the church, and think, I want to learn the scriptures. And you're never too young, never too old. So we don't shy away from anything in the scriptures, do we? We just go right into it. We learn from what others have said about it. Verse six, the second example that Jude gives is he is talking about rebellious angels here. And if that wasn't deep and profound, the stuff before, then Jude is bringing up another thing that has multi layers to it, but we don't shy away from it. Jude is referencing in Genesis six, and man, this is popular right now. There are a lot of people talking about this very passage. Genesis 6, 1 to 4, recounts the story of the sons of God who left heaven, which was their proper dwelling place, to have children with women. And so what Jude is getting at here and bringing up that story, he's saying they're violating God's created design. They're violating God's order through their disordered behavior. You see it? So you can go back and read that later. We don't have time, but Genesis 6, 1 to 4 talks about that. And he's giving the example of these renegade angels. And they're linked with these angelic beings called Nephilim. Some of you have probably heard about, how many of you have seen a video or a podcast? I mean, this stuff is swirling around the Nephilim. And these are renegade angelic beings who step out of their proper place. They fall from what God has for them. And they take human wives and procreate, violating how God had set things up for spiritual beings to be here and for humans to be here. Now, if you really want to learn a little bit more about this, look at 2 Peter 2.4. Jude is probably providing some insight here, and the apostle Peter is going to utilize Jude's letter and talk about this and how God is going to address and judge these angels. How are we doing? You are journeying through some of the most precarious stuff in the entire New Testament, but we're doing okay, aren't we? I've been pouring over this stuff this week. I've been praying. I've been saying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I want to understand it. I've been reading 
people that have devoted 30 years to studying the book of Jude so that I can sit at their feet and learn from them. And there is a message for us in the book of Jude. A third example here at verse seven, church, he's given us the, this moving away, the falling away of the people in Egypt and then the situation with these renegade rebellious angels. And now what's the third one at verse seven? These two infamous cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. Now this is where I'm gonna be diplomatic. In the previous example, it was the angels coming to cohabitate with humans, right? You see that? Breaking God's order, breaking God's design. In this one, in this passage, it's the opposite. Those of you that know the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative, especially in chapter 19 of Genesis, you can go back and read it. I'm not gonna read it now. But in that section, you have the opposite. You have human beings seeking to have relations with angelic beings, twisted stuff. But it is the word of God showing us the depravity of, of human beings without him. Do we see it? Again, the point that Jude is making is God's created design, God's order is being violated. It's being broken. And so he's saying that the false teachers bring this kind of disorder and disruption and disunity. Sodom and Gomorrah become a symbol and a type. All you had to do was mention the name of those two cities all through the Hebrew Bible, the history of the Jewish people, and even for those early Jewish Christians, if you mentioned those two cities, the people would have known that story. They would have known that narrative that they had strayed away from God and committed deeds that were worthy of God's judgment and discipline. And it's true to this day, isn't it? You mention those two. And so there's some debate around why Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. Some of you may have heard this before, but some people argue that Sodom and Gomorrah was judged just for being generally wicked, for their lack of hospitality. Some of you, who's heard that before? That's actually part of the story, is they were not being hospitable to people that were visiting their town. And that's, that's true, that is accurate, but it's not the full picture. What does Jude say, church? that they're, being, they're experiencing God's judgment for. What is it? Second part of verse seven. You can see it there. I'm not gonna read it again, but look at it. They are violating God's biblical guidelines in scripture laid out. Do you see it? So Jude is highlighting in that there. And friends, Sodom and Gomorrah were judged for their many sins. And Jude is not saying in this text that they were judged because they were inhospitable people. They were judged for what? It's there in verse seven. For violating God's biblical sexual moral code. That's why they were judged, Jude is saying. This week, 
This has sobered me and shaken me to the core. This is the word of the Lord for us in 2023. Whether we want to hear it or not. And this is why we teach through and read through passages of the scriptures, chapter by chapter, line by line, because we want the heart of the Lord. We want the mind of God. And so I'm calling us in view of a text like this, first of all, to be vigilant, to be discerning, to pray for the gift of discernment for you, for your loved ones, for your family, for your children, for your friends, for our church, for other churches. Lord, help us be aware and vigilant. Because friends, I don't have to tell you this, but the winds of false teaching are blowing fiercely through the culture and through the church. And frankly, I'm not interested Colt and I have talked about this. I'm not really interested in culture wars. It's exhausting. I'm interested in kingdom wars. And the kingdom of God will clash with the kingdom of darkness. And that's what we're observing. And that's why we look at a text like this so that we are awake. We've got our eyes open. We've got our Bibles open. We're praying together. We're watching out over one another's lives. And we are not afraid, but we're courageous to speak the truth in love. Amen? Now this week, some of you probably heard what was going on in Edina, Minnesota, in that Lutheran community church where they basically took the Apostles' Creed and trashed it and made their own creed for this month. Who heard about it? Anybody? the Sparkle Creed. I'm not going to read it because I'm not going to give airtime to it, but they're taking the pastor there and reworking the Apostles' Creed and lifting up their hands at the altar and saying the creed like the church says the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and they're talking about believing in the non-binary God and Jesus with his glorious, fabulous tunic and the rainbow spirit. It's blasphemy, friends. And so we, on our watch, are seeing the church not resist the ideology of the world, but embrace it and celebrate it and let it rework their worship. How do you think the Lord feels about that? I think it breaks his heart. And so this is why I want you to think about why we read the scriptures, why we prize them and treasure them, why we say the Apostles' Creed is because we need to be rooted deeply in what the church has received from the Lord, the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the apostles, so that when the winds blow, we're deeply rooted and we're not affected. We don't just do these things because it's a nice thing to do or that's what the church has done. We want deep deep roots. We want to be rooted in the truth of scripture. We want to be rooted in the consensus of what Christians have said and done and practiced and how they've worshiped for 2000 years. Amen. This text also, I think calls us to be on our faces. 
So eyes open, praying for discernment, being courageous to speak out, to not play the PC games, to not be hood, hoodwinked into virtue signaling, and the, but to be kingdom people full of love, full of grace, we should be on our faces. And we should repent. And we should ask for the Lord's heart and perhaps weep for the compromise that has crept into the church. Friends, we're living in an unprecedented time. The church has opened the door to these things. Frankly, it's one of the reasons that we had to depart the denomination that we were in from the beginning. The RCA, the Reformed Church in America, opened the door to this ideology. And they lost the biblical sexual ethics compass that the Lord had given the movement. So we want to do both of these things simultaneously, don't we? Just like Jude is saying, we want to be vigilant. We want to have the scriptures open. We want to use the scriptures as a filter or a grid to look at ourselves, to look at our church, to look at culture. But we're not going to be the culture police and go around and be mean-spirited. We should be on our faces. Both of these together, not one or the other, both of them simultaneously. We should seek God's heart. I need God's heart. Anybody else? I want a heart exchange. I want the heart of the Lord as I look at what's happening, not only in the culture, but in the church and in our lives, in our families. And friends, I'm going to say it. I think that we are probably facing judgment on a scale that we haven't seen before. We encounter that in the book of Revelation. And we talked about, yes, the Lord is full of mercy and grace and compassion at the same time because he is pure love. He is pure compassion. He is pure mercy. He disciplines those who move away from him. And so I want our church to think about we are probably facing watching the judgment of God come upon nations, including ours. Again, this is not a newsflash for some of you, but I want to just say it. And Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 17, that judgment begins with the house of God. And so we don't look down our noses at culture or at them, we look at us. And we say, okay, if the Lord is going to visit with his holy, awesome presence and bring what needs to be brought and bring correction, then it starts with the house of God. Which means we should be on our faces and we should look inward and repent and turn from where have these ideologies gotten inside of us instead of the teachings of scripture, we need to repent. It may not be as drastic as the Sparkle Creed at that church in Minnesota, but if you have imbibed, if you have taken in ideology that the world is serving that doesn't line up with scripture, you need to repent. And you need to do business with the Lord. I need to repent. I need to do business with the Lord. Amen? And then we put 2 Chronicles 7.14 into action. 
we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek the Lord with all of our might, we turn from our wicked ways, and then God will hear, God will forgive, and God will heal. And we ask him, as James the apostle says in chapter two, let mercy triumph over judgment, Lord. As you look at us, as you look at the American church in all of its different forms, as you look at your people, as you look at our country where we live, could mercy triumph over judgment? Why don't we stand? We're gonna come back to this next week, just working through a few verses at a time. And today, again, Jude, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at the local church, the local churches in this region, and he points out three examples. There's more that he talks about, but I think that's enough for today. And we will look at the rest of the passage. I want to make sure, are you hearing me? Is my heart coming through on this? As much as anything, we are opening the word of God, we're reading it, we're letting the word of God perform surgery on us and transform us, and then we don't cower, and we take a stand for truth as it's revealed in scripture. And friends, I'm telling you, it's gonna get interesting in the coming days. And so I'm asking you, do you want to be a church that is willing to be bold and courageous no matter what it costs us, that we're willing to read the Bible and practice it? Are we, are we willing? I'll ask you again in the coming years. <laughs> we can keep reminding each other and we actually have to have a joyful, lighthearted spirit as well. It's this is, we're in the kingdom, we stand for truth, we make disciples, we do the main and the plain of scripture, but Lord, give us courage. So that's what we ask for, Lord. We stand before you as your people, clothed in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, on our faces when we're together and when we're at home, seeking your mercy. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up, including the people that were testifying. If you want to...